Welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. You're joining me for a special episode today. In today's episode, we sit down with Steve Blair, who's the Chief People Officer at Island Ventures. Here's the deal. This podcast, we talk a lot about leadership on the podcast. How do you engage your employees? How do you retain great talent? Well, I got to tell you, all the things that maybe I've shared on the podcast are dwarfed by the legendary reputation that Steve has in the management space. He'd never say that about himself. He's way too humble for that. But Steve is actually coming from several years at another company, which we'll talk about on the show. And what I'll tell you is that his reputation precedes him. If you've been thinking about how to manage people well, and more importantly, how to invest in your culture. Today's episode is going to give you the exact answers you need to be able to do that well. Your people are worth investing into, which is why I'm so excited to share this conversation with Steve. But hey, before we jump into this interview, here's a word from one of the amazing businesses we love to talk about on the podcast. We'll be right back soon. You know that feeling at 10 o'clock at night when you finished a long day of work? and you're trying to figure out all the financials of your business? Well, the good news is you don't have to be an expert in this space. You gotta just know who is the expert to call. That person is Steve Lay with Equity Business Solutions, and he does business bookkeeping services better than anyone else I know. By not only helping you manage your books, he can also be the expert to help you understand your books. On top of that, he also handles payroll for businesses and really takes the worry and stress of managing all of these things so that you can focus on running your business well. So what are you waiting for? Stop wasting time trying to understand all these elements of your business. Call Steve Lay at Equity Business Solutions and he'll show you the value beyond the numbers. Go to equitybusinesssolutionsllc.com to find out more. Steve, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. Blake, it's my uh, pleasure to be here. I've listened to it for a long time. That's very much a big compliment because I have um, genuinely really admired you and your perspective on leadership. People who listen to the podcast for a long time know that really um, leadership is kind of a central tenant of the podcast. It's not a leadership podcast, Mm -hmm. but we talk a lot about managing people well and leading people well. And um, having you on the show is so valuable because for years, uh, you were basically in charge of that big culture piece at Harvest Group, uh, which some of our listeners are familiar with, some of them not so familiar with. It's a business here in Northwest Arkansas that I was very fortunate with my last business to be a little bit involved in the onboarding Mm -hmm. of new employees. That's right. And at Harvest Group, not only were you constantly hiring people, you guys were growing like crazy, but- a consistent theme I would have in these conversations with people coming on was, oh yeah, I already knew about Harvest Group. Like I already hmm. knew about the way you guys did things, the way you, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. You know, now you're in a position, uh, chief people officer at Island Ventures. It feels like you're taking this to the next level. Tell me a little bit more, obviously, about, you know, who you are, what you're doing, yeah. uh, but especially give us a little bit of a taste of this culture philosophy that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Blake. And thanks for the kind words about, about Harvest Group. That is a very special chapter in my story. And so um, it's one that I love to talk about. And I appreciate it when folks um, see what we did and can appreciate the authenticity with which we we did it. Um, if I can give you just a little bit of background, I spent the first half of my career selling 
Mm. And most of that was diapers to Walmart. Um, so I came up through Procter and Gamble. I started as an intern, but the whole time at P and G, they, they let us have what I call work hobbies, which is, um, things we could do in addition to our job that were important to the organization. Some people would work on a charitable committee. Some people would, um, you know, moonlight on some marketing analysis. Uh, I gravitated towards training and recruiting and I don't, I can't, honestly tell you why other than it was from the very day I was hired as an intern, I just gravitated towards facilitating training for new hires, going on campus and talking to professors and trying to find who are the leaders that are coming out of school. And so uh, they do such a great job of, of letting people have those experiences that I actually, while I was leading the diaper business uh, for North America and specifically at Walmart, I was in charge of campus recruiting for the sales function. And my last two years, my actual job job was leading sales training for North America. And that's where I really got the bug for this, this extra special side of the equation, which is mm. the people in the organization, yeah. the health of those people, and, um, and, and the tools and systems you can put in place pretty easily to make their experience at work so much more fulfilling and so much more purposeful. This is kind of a, I don't want to say it's like a bombshell of a topic, but it's, it's funny to me when I have people on, on the podcast, like you, who you say things like, it's so simple, it's so easy. <laughs> and, and obviously we know that like people are complicated. We know that management, like managing people is difficult because you're working with people, but time and again, I feel like there are these concepts that are very simple and yet it they're not feels... easy. They're simple to understand, but they're not easy to execute. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like that's the rub. Like, I feel like, yeah. especially, um, I mean, I don't know, we're, we're in a time right now where like you know, retention, um, employee satisfaction, I feel like it's never been a more front facing conversation. Um, I mean, we haven't really heard the phrase great resignation recently, but definitely like through COVID following yeah. COVID, this was like a major conversation piece. Um, you know, as you see like mainstream conversations on management, do you find yourself getting um, like passionate or like when you see like posts where people like give their take, is it hard not to just be like, guys, like this is, <laughs> this is so well, easy or simple, excuse me. I love the back and forth. I love the discourse. So uh, if I see somebody post something controversial, I will uh, choose whether I engage or not. Um, I am not one to engage for the sake of engaging. Sure. Um, but I've been known to share my thoughts. I, here's what I think, Blake, about, about this. Um, I think it has increased the volume a little bit around engagement and the importance of things like that. But I think the driver of that... Um, was specifically March 13th of 2020 and the fact that every organization had to navigate about five years of, of um, anticipated change and evolution overnight when we all went home. Right. When, when the work, when a lot of the world went to work from home and that's just the element of work from home or work from the office, but that ripples through all elements of an organization. And so I think it was that acceleration of lots of topics, employee well-being, uh, engagement, uh, remote work, um, recruiting strategies when it doesn't matter where you live, you just want to try to find the best talent. All of that came to live in every organization, almost every organization on the planet. 
And that is disruptive. And so I think if organizations weren't focused on it and thinking about it, uh, they found themselves having to be focused on it and thinking about it. And of those organizations, many of them now have a person like me in the organization because they realized, wow, this is really important. The organizations like Harvest Group that already knew it was important, man, they sprinted into March of 2020. Of course, it was disruptive, and of course, we couldn't predict the future, but we had the elements in place mm -hmm. for, a, for a healthy organization to continue to do great work. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we had to figure out how we do collaboration, how we do recognition, how we keep connections alive, but we had most or all of the fundamentals already prioritized. Um, and really they did that when they had 25 people, that's when they hired me full time. They had an individual, uh, Lindsay, who was before me, who was part-time. She was three days a week when they were, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 employees. Lindsay Mast. Yes. Lindsay yeah. Mast. Amazing, amazing leader. Um, but they recognized it was important. And so they, they carved off part of her role to focus on this. And then over time it became more and more of her role until it was all of her role, but she was three days a week, her schedule. They had 25 people and they thought they might have a vision to get to 50. And so they wanted to pivot and uh, Lindsay wanted to go pursue something else. And so they wanted to, to bring in a full-time leader. I think they were intrigued by my experience because I had already had the experience of calling on the world's biggest retailers, both Walmart, Target, Costco, all of them uh, leading up to my time at Harvest Group. But I also had that passion for people and mm -hmm. I had that credibility around, um, honestly, HR. And yeah. it's not a function that's always been thought of as super strategic. I, certainly since the COVID pandemic, it's grown more in, in strategic yeah. importance. Um, but they had that vision. And, and so what I had the pleasure of doing is watching and stewarding that culture evolution from 25 people to 250 people from one office in Rogers, Arkansas yeah. to five offices around the world. Yeah. One in, one uh, in Tunisia, North that's Africa. Right, Tunisia. Right, that's right. That's a whole nother episode yeah. that I would love to talk with you about. <laughs> um, but you imagine like most organizations struggle with culture and health of the organization through any disruptive change. And you throw on top of that hyper growth, many organizations just buckle like their culture takes a massive hit, or at least they, they, they have to figure it out to get it back on track. That was the, the biggest challenge that, that the organization posed to me as we knew we were going to be growing fast was how do we maintain the culture and I would argue the health of the culture while we grow fast. And the reason I make that nuance is because uh, the culture had to evolve. Um, Harvest Group didn't start with a culture with the three original founders, and that's the same exact culture it has today. We've got a way more diverse organization now. We've got um, a lot of different skill sets. We have a technology organization that didn't exist four years ago, five years ago. And so it's that it's that evolution that Harvest went through that ultimately resulted in a, a culture that by all objective standards, and that's employee net promoter score, ENPS, their ENPS score was stronger, almost to the tune of 2x stronger than it was when they had 25 people hmm. all in all that could all fit in one meeting room. 
And I think that's because of the intentionality of the leadership of that organization. The fact that they put a full-time leader in charge of uh, making sure that the organization had the tools and that the leaders were equipped to be able to, to build that cultural leadership among, among the team. Um, and they're just brilliant people that have a great business model and all mm-hmm. that combined together is what fueled that growth from 25 to 250. And, and, you know, I, I, uh, launched out of Harvest Group eight months ago, and I imagine they're bumping up against 300 right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's really remarkable. You made a comment too, that a lot of businesses buckle when they grow. Um, is, is the reason because the founders are unwilling to shift that culture? Is it, um, I know personally, Many often when I'm having these conversations with people, it feels like culture or HR in general is much more of like a compliance piece of the business and not an intentional strategy of the business. Um, you've talked a few times about, uh, or you've mentioned it a few times about the business growing. Um, and you even mentioned this with PNG about, um, you know, you, you had this leadership bug, but you were also training people in sales. And that was interesting to me. Because it feels like sometimes these things are diametrically opposed in the sense of I'm chasing revenue, I'm chasing profit for the business, but then there's also this people component and I have to choose one or the other. You know, oh, I, I would I would never choose. Yeah. So tell me more about that. Yeah, that's that's an and all day long. Yeah. Um, and, and I've been blessed to get to see it happen in some really, really great organizations. So I know that I am... Uh, lucky, and I don't have many examples in my background of of toxic cultures or cultures that were all revenue chasing and not caring for people. But but I learned it first at P and G, and yes, we were about chasing revenue, chasing POS sales, um, but we were doing that with the best possible talent we could find, and we wanted that top talent to grow and develop. And so when you when you hire the best people, you make sure that they're equipped with what they need right now, but also what they're going to need in two years, whether it's the marketplace has changed or they've accepted additional responsibility and gotten promoted. So, so how do you know, like, how do you know what someone might need? Like, what does that look like? How do you figure that out? Like that long-term thinking yeah. of equipping someone, man, I wish, I wish I had the answer. I'd have my own podcast on the topic. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, um, I think it's an intense curiosity and I don't, I don't mean to like make it sound a whole lot easier than it is, but I think organizations that, that care so much that they wonder about what's coming next, specifically about their people. Um, that means that they're listening to podcasts that are talking about the future of work. They're, they're going to conferences. Um, you know, I got a chance to go to the catalyst conference, which is not a typical conference that someone goes to that's in HR. Um, but it's a conference, it's a conference about provocative leadership and, um, organizational health. Uh, it's, it's about many other things, but for me, that's why I went. So I think there it's, it's this natural radical curiosity about, um, what people need, how you're doing against that need, and then where you think that the world is going. And that's through curiosity, again, of studying what's happening and, and all those things. You, you mentioned a comment about the, the organizations that, um, struggle or buckle, I think was the word I used that you, you brought back up again. I have a, what I think is a fairly controversial take on the differences between two types of organizations. 
and I have yet to come up with the right words to use. So maybe you or your listeners can help me here. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll send you a gift if you can help me come up with the, be- <laughs> the better words. I think that organizations, when they set out, when they are founded, when an organization decides, hey, we're going to build something. I think there's two mindsets, and one of those mindsets is I'm going to build a business. I have a business idea. There's a need in the marketplace. I'm going to dream up a product that's going to be that's going to have perfect market fit, and then I'm going to sell it like crazy, and I'm going to hire talent to help me, and I'm going to build a wonderful business. And man, those are everywhere, and thank goodness because there's some really great companies that have started that way. I think there's another way. And I believe that the three original founders at Harvest Group, this is how they approached it. And I think that they started with the thought of building an organization Mm. first. Not that they weren't focused on the business. They knew what business model they were going to run, or at least they knew what business they were going to enter. But they literally sat around a dining room table and dreamed up the kind of company that they would love to work in themselves and that they assumed would attract the top talent in the CPG marketplace. Then that talent showed up and then they started running with these business ideas and it just kept snowballing. And and every time you turn around, there'd be a new angle to the business idea, the original business idea, which required you to hire more top talent. And that more top talent came in and helped you discover more business ideas. And so I really think the difference between organizations that, that, get a stronger culture as you grow and organizations that find themselves saying, Oh crap, we now have 40 people. (laughs) What are our values? The difference is the mindset going in is, is, and I believe my personal thought is that those that focus on building an organization first, think of that as what's the DNA of the organization, the mission, the vision, the values. And I know those words are three you and I use every day in our world and they're probably getting cliche, but If you get really clear on that and then you build around all of the things that go into a healthy organizational culture through the lens of that mission, that mission, that vision, and those values, that's a fundamentally different organization Mm. that can not only handle disruption in a more healthy way, but they can pivot and grow and, and, um, look for new opportunities and and handle those obstacles that those organizations that set out simply to build a business start to buckle. And and a couple of examples. Um, I think, I think we might all be able to agree that Uber is a brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. Um, somebody asked the question, why does it take so long to get a dirty cab and, um, business idea born amazing business. I think you'd agree that they built a business. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go to the other side. Uh, my friends at Chick-fil-A. Um, I'm very biased. So, uh, we're very I'll biased on the podcast too. I'll acknowledge that. Why do I that. feel like I always have to give this disclaimer when I talk about <laughs> Chick-fil-A? I mean, cause we're, we're both insane, yes. but every time I bring this up, I'm like, all right guys. And some, some of you have told me you don't like Chick-fil-A. I get it. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm not sponsored yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I believe that Truett Cathy set out to build an organization that he wanted to work in and that he wanted to attract the kind of people that would bring his vision to life. And then as that grew from a mall-based store to a standalone store to to now the world's unquestionably the world's greatest drive-through operation, the most efficient retail operator on the planet. And, And I believe that that's because they didn't just set out to make a really good chicken sandwich. 
Yeah. They set out to build a culture and an organization that attracted the best talent that would that would tackle the toughest business ideas. Yeah. And so that's my really long-winded of, of way of saying what I think is different about organizations that buckle and organizations that thrive. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I like how you put it like it, it being in the DNA from the start. Cuz I think about I haven't told a good Chick-fil-A story on the podcast in a while, but there was a story I mentioned a while back of uh, a customer dropped their phone like in the drive-through and it fell out and like rolled down into the into hmm. the sewers. Oh gosh. And the employee pulled the manhole off and went down and got it. That's amazing. You know, and like think and I in and, and and here's the deal. I actually I really enjoy Chick-fil-A. I enjoy eating there, but I don't think it's the best chicken sandwich I've ever had in my entire life. But that right there, you can't replicate anywhere yeah. else. In fact, if you ask people, hey, is Chick-fil-A fast food? A lot of people do a double take because they think about the average fast food chain versus sure. Chick-fil-A and they're like, well, it is, but it's yeah. also. It, yeah. And in my mind, yeah, I love that story. And in my mind, um, the allure that I have with Chick-fil-A has little to do with it's my pleasure. Mm. Now, granted that that's a thing that is embedded in their culture that right. that is a manifestation of a, of a theory they have around customer service, that it truly is their pleasure to, to serve yeah, us. Right. Um, but I think I think that's so small minded. If if you're thinking that that's what the culture of Chick Fil A is, uh, you're missing a whole lot of other things. Yeah. Um, it it is a whole lot more than that. Just like Blake, just like the culture of an organization is a whole lot more than catered lunches and kegerators, right? Yeah. But to, I listened to one of your episodes from 2022 the other day, and you were talking about beer taps as, as a bad, yeah. um, signal about an organization's culture. It's not that it's wrong, but it, yeah. it's irrelevant yeah. Uh, yeah, in, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. That's how I feel about the, it's my pleasure. It's a big part of their DNA. Yeah. They're never going to stop doing it, but man, their, their culture is about so much more than, than the fact that they say that to every person I, I every day. That insight is so valuable because it's also why often a business owner is frustrated because they're doing those little artifacts, they're providing the lunches, yes. they're putting the beer on tap, or one guy... Don't forget I, the signs in the conference room yeah, that, that with yeah. the pictures. And then people are still leaving in mass and they're thinking, well, and I'll go and say for our listeners, I think the very bad business owners are angry at their employees. Like you guys are so ungrateful yes. when they're missing that it was never... Imagine it was, what you know. <laughs> impact that has on those that stay. Yeah. Right. 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 My goodness. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, like, I, I love what you said about Harvest Group during COVID too, because you, know, you mentioned you guys were already, you were already doing the right things versus I had someone call me during COVID who the conversation basically was, hey, I need you to help us create a culture like in the next month. <laughs> and first of all, my immediate answer was, well, you should have done this three years ago. Yeah. But then also I thought, well, you already have a culture. Cole's yeah. already there. What you're asking me um, to do is is diagnose it or change it. Yeah. yeah. And it's in there's no there is no 30-day answer to it. Right. And so I've really right. appreciated how, you know, and I sense that just talking because I have a lot of friends who work at Harvest Group. Um, you know, I've sensed that even over the years since COVID, you know, our, my friend JP who yeah. um, has worked there. Um one who, of my favorite hiring stories. Well, who and who who very I mean, I'm gonna put words in his mouth, um, would very much say he's drank the Kool-Aid of, of, you know, we hear these stories about people who are diehard for their business and for good reason, you know, this is all what we want 
these are the stories we want our employees to sure. be able to tell. But he's an example of someone I think of, excuse me, <coughs> in terms of giving the tools to be successful and then thinking of the tools they'll need in the future in sure. that he's just blossomed and grown and JP, sorry, I'm so, referring to you as blossoming, but <laughs> great, great, great um, segue on that with JP to your question about how do you know what's coming in the future? JP's role right now is uh, a leadership role in an organization that did not exist the day he joined Harvest Group. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. And so it was. I can't remember what role we hired him into, but he was um, an intern. He, we hired him as an intern, yeah. even though he had already graduated yeah. because he knew that was the opening we had Yeah, and he quit his full-time job yes. to take an internship with us. And he had heard how amazing Harvest was to work for. Yeah. I remember these conversations. Talk about betting on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. That's why it's one of my favorite hiring stories. Love yeah. you, JP. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, he came into a different role, not, not just because he was an intern, even when he was hired full time, his role is materially different today Yeah, because the market has changed. We were in tune with it. And then we equipped people like JP to, to meet the challenge yeah. when it presented itself. Now, something else I'm wondering about, cause this conversation comes up a lot too. You know, whenever we talk about culture and being intentional with your strategy, with your people, um, it evokes a lot of positive feelings and for good reason. I mean, you it's no one wants to go to sleep on a Sunday night thinking about, you know, crud, I got to go to work. I got to go to work tomorrow. Go to Sunday work. scaries. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like for good reason, like we're thinking, we're talking about very aspirational stuff. Um, I've heard this also, and I've even gotten this question from people who listen to the podcast on, okay, how do I build this culture that is positive and empowering, but also one where I can have the hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Conversations, I talked to a guy this morning where he he was feeling really down on himself. He owns a uh, a roofing, down on himself is a little bit too harsh, but owns a roofing company. It works across three different states and he's having to let somebody go. Mm. And I said, hey, you know what? You gave, you gave him a shot. And he was feeling bad about himself because he was like, yeah, I gave him two years of a shot. Like I really wanted to give this person yeah. the opportunity to be successful. So there's this weird back and forth, I guess, of the aspirational culture, um, seeing the value in people, the potential in people while also having those candid conversations. Can you help me understand how do you yeah. navigate that? Well? Yeah. Um, yeah. Great question. I, um, I think it comes down to, uh, organizations earn the permission to have hard conversations with people and some of them don't earn the right to have that conversation and that, and yet they have the conversation. Yeah. And so not to oversimplify it, but, um, and I'm not saying this about your friend at all, but I, I think the, no one enjoys those kinds of conversations, period. Like nobody enjoys it. If you do, you're I, I think you're not, you're not being truthful to, with <laughs> yeah. us ultimately, but, um, but if you have built a culture of love I, I truly love you as a person. And that means that if the best thing for you is to help you navigate through this issue, then uh, the, my only option is to have a hard conversation with you. If, if I truly love you, so love, you love the individual and you, you genuinely feel like it's your responsibility to bring out the best in people. So in my mind, in, in, in my when I have hard conversations, I, I try to position it in my mind and in my heart as, um, while I might be correcting 
as simple as correcting a behavior or correcting or addressing an attitude or, or whatever, um, I'm genuinely believing that that person has the ability to do what it is that needs to happen. Mm. Um, and then I tap back into the fact that I love them as a person and my responsibility is to give them that feedback to help them grow. Um, when you haven't earned that, when, when your organization hasn't earned the right to be frank with people, that's when things go south real fast. When you're giving feedback, my guess is if you haven't earned the right to give hard feedback, you're probably not very good at giving feedback also. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I will, I'll tell you a quick story about my own self um, and, and a leadership failure that I had early on at Harvest Group. Uh, an individual working on my team that um, was in a pretty pretty hard job. It wasn't a complex job, but it was not a fun job. Um, and she was, she was struggling and in her own words, she was struggling. Um, I, I, uh, accumulated feedback until her annual performance review. And because I didn't want to hurt her feelings, I didn't want to, and, and I didn't feel like I had earned the right to, to give her hard feedback. I was fairly new to the company and so was she. And so I went into that annual performance review with that responsibility of, of, you know, coaching people and, and that was the wrong decision, not sharing the feedback, but not sharing it as it happened earlier in the year. And so I developed at that moment, and I give her credit for this, I developed permission-based feedback. Now, what that doesn't mean is that I don't get to give you feedback unless you give me permission. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about here. But if if you align with the person you're coaching or leading that I love you and I I have your best interests at heart and that I've genuinely asked you what your best interests are, that's important. If those three things happen and I have treated you with with dignity and respect and an appropriate um autonomy, yeah. then I'm asking your permission when we first start working together, when we're talking about initial expectations, do I have your permission to give you feedback, candid feedback in the moment? It might hurt. Um, but would you, I, can I have your permission to do that now versus wait until our next one-on-one or to heaven forbid, wait until your mid year or end of year performance review. And I will tell you the act of having that conversation about genuinely asking permission. Now, no one has said no. Um, which I'll come back and talk about when somebody says, no, that'll be a hard one to to navigate through. But um, not only does that tee me up for my leadership style to be able to work effectively, but it makes a deposit with that individual that I cared enough to share how I operate, but to ask their alignment to how I operate. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we got on that question. No, it's great. I mean, it it makes me even, because we're talking about, you know, giving those hard conversations, holding people accountable. Um, How do you, how do you earn that right? You know, cause I think, I think there are situations where there's leaders who they think they've earned it, sure, but they haven't. Um, and then also there's leaders who they absolutely have earned it, but they're not willing to have the hard, hard conversation cause it makes them feel uncomfortable. But like, what, what are the ways that like, how do I, um, if someone's working for me, how am I building that camaraderie beyond the pizza party Sure, where they feel like there's a mutual trust? Yeah. You know, where it's like, okay, you gave me hard feedback, but I can trust you have my best intentions in mind. And you're not like that boss I had at the other gig who, you know, was just trying to dump on me. 
Yeah. Um, couple thoughts. One, um, I, I th- and this is going to sound so fundamental. Uh, you have to know the person and I don't just mean study their LinkedIn profile and know what they've done <laughs> in their life. Yeah. Um, know the person, know why they took the job at your organization. And it probably wasn't just because there was an opening for an analyst on your team. So know, know the person. And that's, that's so simple to say, but, um, I, I, I used to manage a remote team. Um, when I was at Ghirardelli chocolate, I, I, I led a, a sales team of people living all over the country. Um, actually it's every job I've had in sales leadership. I've done this when I would travel into town, I tried to figure out ways to get to know them still without, um, stepping toes on their family time, but getting to know them and uh, very specific two uh, specific examples. I'll give you one of them is I went to a youth soccer game with, uh, the, the amazing young saleswoman who leads our, who led our Costco business for Ghirardelli. Uh, we went to her son's soccer game because it was at five 30 and she and I had worked together that day. And my option was to go back to the hotel and eat alone or, you know, whatever. And I said, well, Hey, can I come to the soccer game? And she said, great. And we went and I got to meet her husband and I got to meet her kiddos and I got to experience life with them outside of, of work. Mm -hmm. Now that's not always possible. And sometimes that's even creepy. And I would ask you to, you know, (laughs) be discerning about how that happens. But the next story is also creepy. Um, uh, Meredith, who is an amazing, uh, person we hired early in our days on a Kroger team for harvest group. She was our, our first hire outside of the leader of that, of that office. And I was, I was in town for a couple days and I try to get out to lunch or dinner with folks when I'm in town. And I knew that she was a single mom and had two little girls and she had the girls that week. And, and so going to dinner would have required her yeah. to find coverage and right. all, all the stuff that right. I was absolutely unwilling to ask her to do. And, and maybe put her in a hard position where she has to feel has like, to choose. yeah, if I'm going to advance in my career, oh my gosh. I have to now yeah. table my family yes. and go put myself out money-wise and just to meet with my boss. And I understand that there are some leaders that only get one chance to work with one of their direct reports a year. And, and I, 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 I'm not talking about those scenarios. Those are hard. But this one was one I was in probably once a quarter and it was my chance to have dinner uh, or get to know her a little more personally. And so through talking with her, I, I knew that she had the girls that week and that, um, in fact, we had to leave at about four o'clock or she had to leave about four o'clock to pick them up from school. And I knew I needed to eat and I knew that they were going to eat dinner somewhere. And so I asked her to ask the girls, where would they like to go to dinner? And we'll all just go together Yeah. and, and the company will, will pay for the meal. It's an, a valid, very valid business expense. And so I spent one of the greatest two hours of my life at Chuck E. Cheese in, <laughs> uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, because that's where her girls wanted to go. Yeah. And not only was it a great time, I love a good Chuck E. Cheese night. Yeah. Um, we've got stories now that we can tell and we've yeah. got little trinkets that we won with the tickets that uh, yeah. all of our girls and I got in the skee-ball game. Um, so long way of saying know the person. So the first thing a leader yeah. has to do when they're earning trust is, is know the person. The next thing I want to, I want to share with you is a, is a silly little model that I use for this conversation. So how do you earn trust with an individual? But really it's how leadership earns, um, the buy-in and the commitment from a team. 
And that's where it actually originated was people were asking me how in the world did harvest grow so fast and the culture objectively got stronger every quarter you would, you would assess, you know, the employee net promoter score. How did that happen? And I believe in addition to all the amazing things that harvest does and the hiring great people and all that, which is essential, I think it's really simple also. And, um, again, I need your listeners to help me come up with a better name, but the model I have is called voila. And it's like a magician, like unveiling the secret to a trick. Um, but it's super simple. And I would use it in this example of how you earn somebody's trust. The W is wonder, like genuinely wonder what drives this person genuinely wonder what does this person want to accomplish in their career? Genuinely wonder how is this person doing? Mm. genuinely wonder, do they have the clarity they need around what success looks like in their role? So as a leader, genuinely, authentically wonder those things. The A, the first A is ask them those things. Yeah. Right. So the first one is care enough to wonder. (laughs) Yeah. The second one is ask them, what are your aspirations? Ask them why they're in the job they're in. Ask them if they have the clarity they need. Okay. Well, and just to pause for it, it reminds me of yep. someone I was talking to who was kind of commiserating about one of her employees. And she was like, I just don't, I just don't know what she's wanting. And I was like, well, have you, please tell me you said, did you ask I her? I did. Yeah. yeah. I was what like, did she say when you asked her? I said, well, have you, have you talked to her about it? And she goes, well, no, <laughs> <laughs> which is, like you said, it's so fundamental. And yet yeah. it's, it's interesting how we don't engage in that way for whatever, I mean, whether it's yeah. personality or what have you, but yeah. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So the L, you might have already guessed it. Spoiler alert. It's listen to what they say when you ask them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't just mean like turn your ears on, but like genuinely listen to what to what they have to say. And the last A is act on what you've heard. So mm, yeah. wonder, wonder what what might be going on, wonder about the situation, wonder what makes them tick, ask them what makes them tick, listen to what they say when you've asked them what makes them tick, and then do something with that. Um, any one of those that's missing, the whole thing falls apart. Um, I think missing the wonder part is probably the, uh, the most common that I see is that, that managers are so overwhelmed with what they're having to do that they just don't take time to genuinely sit and wonder about their people. But the worst one to miss is act because the only thing worse than not asking how someone's doing and why they're doing what they're doing and listening to them is asking and ignoring what they, what you hear. Yeah. So very simple example of how this plays out. Um, once a quarter, we ask, we ask the folks at Harvest Group, you know, the employee net promoter score, how likely are you to recommend Harvest Group as an employer? And then based on how they respond, they either get a follow-up question of what makes it so great or um, what is something that we could do to, to move you, you know, further up the scale? What, what is something we could address? And every quarter, we would get tens of thousands of words of verbatim comments from our team. Uh, and leadership would read every word. Um, of course it's all an, uh, anonymous. It's, it's all the tool we use doesn't yeah. allow us to identify people in any way, but they read the comments. And then I go in front of the team and I read out what they told us that quarter. And then I share, what are we doing about what you've told us? Notice 
and this is mainly it's the annual survey. It's also the quarterly check-ins, but annual survey, for example, uh, every year, October ish, we'll talk about the results of the survey and we go deep. Like we cover the whole thing. In fact, I, I got coaching for five years that I went too deep. Um, but I just felt strongly <laughs> that the team needs to hear yeah. what they told us. Yeah. And then we'd always close with two or three things that we were going to change directly because of the feedback they gave us mm-hmm. in that engagement survey. I'm not talking about we're going to fundamentally change the comp structure of the organization. I'm not talking about we're going to give everybody a company car, even though that was in the survey results every time (laughs) uh, as a joke. Um, But they would tell us, hey, our health insurance premiums, while while Harvest, the heart of Harvest is to is to be unrivaled or try to be unrivaled on benefits. We're not even competitive Mm. on health premiums anymore. Um, One year we fundamentally we intervened. And, and change the approach we took to health premiums. Well, we heard them, we announced we heard them, and we changed the healthcare premium benefit for the organization. Mm-hmm. I think it was that repetitive motion of that whole process, wonder, ask, listen, act, and the act is important, that built up that that um, trust over time that that they care enough to ask, they listen when I speak and man, they take action when they can. And it, and it's that, um, complete cycle repeating over and over again, that, that makes the organization believe authentically believe they hear me, mm-hmm. they see me, they understand me. I'm not going to get everything that I want. Um, but man, they are doing everything they can to address what's, what's, in the way of me showing up whole or what's in the way of me doing my best possible work every day. So really long way of saying the way you earn the trust we're talking about wonder, ask, listen, and act. I love it. And I especially love that fourth piece. And I think you're right in saying that this is probably the most dangerous piece um, because it, it does create a lot of resentment when it's, you're basically like, Hey, I shared these things that are affecting me and nothing's changed or worse. You said things were going to change, but they didn't. Um, my, my experience is you get about two cycles of just asking, not even listening and not wondering and not acting. You get about two cycles before they just stop answering when you ask. Yeah. And then, uh, ineffective leaders will say, Nobody tells us what's going wrong. Yeah. That's because you don't listen when they tell you. Yeah. Um, so I think you get about two cycles of taking your eye off the ball and then you start feeling it in, yeah. in the culture of the organization through either no one's engaging to tell you what's wrong or they're actively like navigating the system of trying to get things accomplished, even though this, the tools clearly aren't there to yeah. get it accomplished. Now, when you're collecting feedback like this, you know, you joked about the company car you know, sometimes you do get feedback that is either out of your hands, or I think about uh, not necessarily like a middle manager, but someone who um, they're a senior manager, but they're not necessarily at the top. Mm -hmm. And so there's complaints about things that their direct reports want to be changed, but this person doesn't have, doesn't have the scope of authority to change it. Um, What does that look like navigating? You know, I'm collecting the feedback. I want to act on it, but either it's not doable for me to act on it. It's out of my control or what you're asking me to change really like, I understand this is important to you, 
but this just isn't how we do business. Yeah. It's or, not, or it's not aligned with the values. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Is that a, is that a conversation piece? I mean, what? I think it is. I think, um, <clears throat> I, again, if you've built the trust that when, when you ask, you listen and, and you genuinely care about the people, I think you can have a conversation that says, um, Hey, that's going to be difficult, whether wh- whatever the circumstances, we can't afford it or it's it's misaligned with our values or, or whatever. Um, but let's talk about what's at the root of of what you're asking for. And there might be a way I can I can uh, mm. address that concern that doesn't impact the entire organization. It doesn't change the way our benefits are calculated. It doesn't change. But there might be some things that are in my control um, it might look like, Hey, uh, attending that Thursday meeting in person is a, is a very big challenge for me. Well, you're the manager of that team. That person can join remotely on Thursdays. If, if you believe and trust that that's the best thing for them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be up against a policy that says everyone's in office together on Thursdays. Yeah. Um, there might be a person that, you know, Thursday is the only day of the week that I can pick up my child from school. Um, like physically it's the only day I'm able yeah. and you want me to be on a conference call at four o'clock or you want me to be in person for a meeting at four right. o'clock. Um, if that person can join on zoom from home, you've got not only an engaged employee, you've got a more engaged employee because you've yes. addressed a central issue right. and it, and it didn't break the company's values. It right. didn't cause monumental ripples through the organization. You just use smart judgment yeah. and, and discernment. And uh, I like what you said about like getting to the root of the issue. Cause I think about, um, I was a high school teacher in Houston, Texas. And, um, one of the expectations we had that created a lot of resentment among the staff was, um, it was inner city school. Kids were out often. Mm-hmm. And so an expectation was you had to have, um, like the day's assignments, printed out each day. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't uncommon. Our, our school started at seven, went all the way till four. So it wasn't uncommon to be in the copy room at like six in the morning, printing off that day stuff yeah. or printing off that week stuff, what have you. Yeah. Well, one of the issues was the printers never worked. They were always jammed. And I just, I'll never forget how many times we'd get the response. You know, it's not in the budget. We're not going to change it. Just get over it. Stop yeah. complaining about it. Um, and very much like positioning we, the teachers as being very petty about it. Right. But what would happen would be if you didn't have that stuff available, um, when like an assistant principal would come in, you would get written up about it. So there'd be something like, um, punitive. Right. Uh, and from that, maybe three strikes, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So, but I like what you said about the root of it. Cause really the root of it really had nothing to do about the printer itself. Like yeah. I, I understand now, after the fact, budgets, what have you, right? The root of it was feeling ultimately not equipped to do my job well, and worse, um, punitively affected or viewed by my bosses for not doing this thing that yeah. felt out of reach. Yeah. Um, so I like that filtering yeah. you mentioned. And I'd even, I, uh, uh, hope you don't get mad at me for this. I, I'll take it a step further on that one and say, um, but the ultimate root was. Like that rule was in place for a reason. Yeah. The ultimate route was uh, children are missing class and they are not, they're getting behind because they're missing work. So they put a rule in place that said they have to get the work printed out for every day that they miss. Right. Right. Well, the root of it is our kids are falling behind. Yeah. And so 
yes, the root is not the copier machine. Um, yes. and, and the root for the teachers is I'm being asked to do something that I physically can't yes. deliver. But the root, root, root yes. was, yeah. hey, our kids are falling behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe the challenge is, what do we do about that? Yes. Um, What's a better way if yeah. the printer is always going to be broken? Right. And what what's the better way when the teachers are literally unable to meet the expectations that we've put out for them right. to avoid punitive? Yeah. Right, right. That's a fun conversation. Yeah, no, this is great <laughs> stuff. So tell me about like what you're doing. I mean, we've talked a lot about the past. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm very much excited for this position you're in now. Yeah. Um, you know, very much, um, I mean, I can't say it enough. The number of times that I think of you in terms of just like leadership, healthy management, mm. um, the fruit of your labor is so obvious coming from Harvest Group. Tell me a little bit about the position you're in now. Yeah. What are you doing now? Um, how does it scratch the itch yeah. for um, people yeah. and culture? Um, I'd love to have that conversation. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for the kind words and thanks for tagging me in your LinkedIn posts when you're looking for some input. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, good. I, I'm reading them anyway, but when you call me out, I've, I've, I I engage, which is great. I love it when you do that. Um, yeah, here's, um, man, I'm, I'm not young. Uh, I won't say I'm old. I'm not young. And, um, I started thinking about a year and a half, two years ago that, um, and I'm a, I'm also a a junkie for assessments, for self-reflection, for self-awareness. And I started looking back over my career journey and combining that with all of the results from the Strings Finders Enneagram, Berkman, any uh, predictive index, yeah, all of them. You're hitting them all. I yeah. literally laid them on a table, printed yeah. them out, laid them on a table, and I tried to go back and explain my career moves using those assessment results <laughs> as a way to like. I know it's rearview mirror time, but like, why did I ultimately leave P and G? Well, I can explain it by looking at these these um, results. Um, about two years ago, I did that exercise, looked back and I said, you know what? I think I've had seven distinct chapters in my career journey so far. They didn't line up with job changes always. Sometimes in the middle of a job, it fundamentally changed. Um, so that was a different chapter, even though I was doing the same job, but I've had about seven unique stops along the way, chapters of my career where, where the motives changed, the opportunity changed, whatever it was. I feel like I probably have one more chapter, maybe two, and I'm never going to retire, retire. So maybe that's the third chapter that is kind of fun, but I think I've got one, maybe two chapters left in my story. And so knowing that I really started thinking about, well, what do I want to do for that one chapter that, that remains, or maybe two chapters that remain. And so, um, when I knew I wasn't the right leader to lead Harvest Group to a thousand people, which is which is where they're going, um, and and thirty five year old me would have never had the guts to admit I wasn't the right person. Fifty uh, two year old me knew I wasn't the right person, and so when I knew that 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 wasn't the next chapter, I then spent a lot of time figuring out what was, and I believe that there were three distinct possible paths that I could take. The first one was to do it one more time, to find a founder, a principled, passionate founder. I know I will never find another Ross Cully, but, but find a principled, passionate founder who has a business idea, understands the strength and, and the importance of culture and do it again. 
help them go from 25 to, to 250 uh, yeah. and beyond. Or second path is try to do that for multiple companies at the same time in an advisory capacity. You know, everybody is looking at executive coaching and lots of things. And I knew that wasn't for me, but what was for me was my passion, my passion to help founders uh, create a place where people can thrive. Mm-hmm. Everybody deserves to love their job. And, and I believe that one way to do that is to have a healthy culture. So second path, possible path was try to do what I had done at Harvest Group and elsewhere, but for multiple people in, in, the, in the form of an advisory practice. The third path was always be ready if God drops something crazy in my lap. And that's always going to be a path yeah. for me. So I set out to try to determine which of the first two I was going to actively pursue. And so I spent eight months actively pursuing both of them, like hardcore, both of them. I had five clients by the end of the year in lane two, and I had had some conversations about a few options in lane one, but none that were the right, the right play, the right organization, the right leader, what have you. And so I kind of thought that lane two was where I was headed. I'm going to have an advisory practice. I'm going to love coming alongside three or four or five different founders at a time. And I'm doing that, uh, or I was doing that for about eight months. Mm. Then an opportunity presented itself um, through a, a long time. Uh, I wish he was my official mentor, but a long time advisor of mine, a, a person I look up to approached me about a company that they were working with in a, in a, in a board capacity. And the opportunity was essentially both paths at the same time. And what I mean by that is Island Ventures is the, the studio or the parent company of a number of different brands and a number of different founders who are launching businesses at varying stages of development. And I'm serving as the chief people officer of Island Ventures, and I get the chance to essentially consult for those companies that are in varying stages of startup, exactly what Lane 2 looked like. But this holding company also has one very big established business that was in desperate need of people and culture, care and stewardship. And so in that role, I'm going to play the head of people and culture for CCF brands, which is their, their largest of their portfolio companies and the one that has the most people and the one that has the most revenue and the one that's got the most history and the legacy behind it. And it, by the way, it's a really strong legacy and it's got all the fundamentals in place, which is another reason why I'm, I'm so excited that meets lane one. Mm -hmm. And so I'm essentially getting to do the two things I was trying to decide between, but do it at the same time with people I deeply respect uh, and with businesses that have all of the right puzzle pieces, whether that is principled, passionate founders and leaders, a compelling business idea, and in this case, a very committed owner to the, the importance of culture and the importance of health of an organization, man, I couldn't get any better than that. Yeah, and that so, awesome. it, so that's what I'm getting to do now. Yeah. And, uh, I am having a ball. I love it. Well, and I, by the time this episode goes live, you'll have a few months in maybe. Yeah. 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 You'll officially have been in the position for a while. Tell me about for people who have been listening, we've been talking for almost an hour now. Oh my gosh. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, are you, are you open to people reaching out to you to getting, either 
off-cuff advice sure. or even a more, I don't know if you're still going to be taking any, anybody on the side in terms yeah. of, um, yeah, here's, consulting uh, gigs, but. thank you for asking that. Um, first of all, uh, the best place to, to connect with me is at the Fayetteville bowling alley on Saturday mornings. <laughs> Unfortunately, they, they stopped, uh, serving breakfast during the week when yeah. COVID happened. So I'm stuck to Saturdays and Sundays. They're like, sir, you need um, to leave. <laughs> but I, I am always open for a good breakfast, yeah. Chick-fil-A chicken and egg and cheese biscuit or yeah. what have you. Um, I very rarely miss opportunities when people want to go have a meal. I, yeah. I love doing that. I had one this morning. Um, the, the answer is I believe, yes, I want to stay engaged with the people that meet all those criteria. It obviously won't be a full-time venture. It pro- it obviously won't be something that takes away from my, my full-time duties with, with Island Ventures and CCF. But I also want to remain sharp because it will make me a better chief people officer for Island Ventures if I'm out there in the trenches dealing with situations that I don't always get to deal with. And so I'm planning to stay active, um, and have lots of coffees and lots of breakfasts as opposed to lots of consulting engagements over weeks and weeks <laughs> at a time. Sure. Um, but man, what the thing that gives me life is is to be uniquely needed and to have perspective that's valuable mm-hmm. at, for whatever reason and whatever scenario. And so the answer is yes. Uh, I want to. I want to continue to meet with folks. I want to continue to learn about people. I want to continue to learn about organizations because that will only make me better. Yeah. What's the best way for someone to reach out to you? Yeah, LinkedIn uh, is is certainly the the best, fastest way I would say. Um, that's that's that that's the answer. Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn or literally pop in the bowling alley between yeah. seven thirty <laughs> and eight thirty on a Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah. Well, Steve, it's been so special to have you on the show. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation, and I wish you well uh, with Island Ventures. Thank you, and Blake, thank you for what you're doing for leaders everywhere. Yeah, thank getting, you. Getting better. Yeah. Hey, for our listeners, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button or the follow button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. Don't forget, if you want to advertise your business on the podcast, we do have some slots available at the start of every episode. You can email me, Blake, at goodadvicecoaching.com. Or if you want to just buy me a cup of coffee to support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash goodadvice. Thank you so much for tuning in today. That's today's good advice. We'll catch you later. See ya. See ya.